again. <laughs> All right. So, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Craft Business Life podcast. My name is Lee Solomon. This is a podcast all about uh, actors and sometimes other artists and other people, but mainly actors and how they do what they do and how they balance their lives and advice and all kinds of things, um, all about sort of all the, the nuts and bolts of what it's like to be trying to be a working actor and so forth. Uh, so my guest today is actor Julie McNamara. She's been an actor and singer based in New York um, for about four and a half years. Um, she does uh, a lot of musical theater as well as improv, and she's also a, a yoga teacher, correct, Julie? That is correct, yes. All right, very cool. Well, I'm excited to talk to you about all of it. Um, I always like to start with just asking you to give everybody a bit of an overview of what your day-to-day -day life is right now. You know, if you're working on any particular acting projects, what day jobs you are doing, if any, and sort of how your how your day to day time is is at this point. Well, that is a funny question. What is my day to day life? Um, tends to vary. Um, right now, January to March for most musical theater folk is kind of the craziest time for auditions because all the summer stock stuff is out. <coughs> so I'm definitely been hitting the audition grind. It's really the time of year I like to focus on that. Is that um, that's when all those big, like, um, combined auditions happen, right? What is it, the, those groups of regional theaters and so forth? Yes, and then a lot of them will hold open calls in New York, and, you know, there's a balance of how many you can attend, and with the digital age now, you can do a lot of self-submission, and I know the reality is I've gotten a lot of my jobs through videos and connections so you got to keep working that stuff too but it's just a time of year for actors it tends to be like a stressful feeling in the air so balancing that and just knowing auditioning takes a lot of time this time of year um, again so, just to help people listening that might not be in this yet or are going to be coming after college soon or whatever the case just to break it down a little further um first of all are you equity at this point or no I am not. I am currently EMC, which yeah. is Equity Membership Candidate, for those not familiar. It means I have a few points. So when you earn it, it's now 25 points. You can join the union. I have just seven points currently. But um, having an EMC card is a nice advantage because it means you get to cut audition lines at equity calls, which is helpful. But I do still do a good deal of non-ec auditioning, which can be long days. Um, you often are waiting for a while. The crowds are big. There's a lot less rules. So those are just things you need patience for, but something every actor does. And auditioning, I find, is very humbling because you see hundreds of other actors and you know, okay, I'm not alone. In a sense, that's kind of where the community is created. You know, even the most successful people have to go back to the audition grind. Sure. And again, just to, to clarify for those that, that don't know yet, um, I know when I was an actor, I was frequently very confused about this. So to clarify for people, um, sure. you can get professional paid regional theater work, summer stock work, all that kind of stuff without being in the union yet. Yes. Um, 
for example, there's been a talk about this lately. Um, a lot of national tours are still non-union. Um, a lot of theaters have a good number of non-equity contracts. And if you look at it from a business perspective, non-equity is cheaper. So a lot of theaters like to keep a handful of non-equs around. And then there are jobs where you can get hired and then earn your card if given the opportunity. So that's a good deal as well. And yes, a good chunk of summer stocks are non-union. I, I know very few that are equity, actually, because the pay tends to be lower. Most of them are theater in a barn. So yes, um, it's very much a personal preference. I found that I've enjoyed the amount of work I've been able to do as a non-ex, that I've been able to solidly do summer stock. Um, I've performed a lot in children's theater. And um, for me personally, I feel I like the amount of work I've been able to get, and I'm not quite ready to take my card until... I get a few more solid credits, um, but that's very personal preference for everybody. And the auditioning scene is, of course, different based on if you're in the union or not. Yeah, and it's it is a personal preference, but it's a very common position to take. This has come up with several of my guests already, and the common wisdom these days, and I think it's quite wise, um, seems to be you know, and this applies both in the theater and on camera worlds. Stay non-union as long as you can because it gets you experience. It actually gives you more total options to work. Um, and only once you're either literally forced to because you've gotten enough mm-hmm. points or you really feel like you've done everything you can do non-union, uh, only then uh, do people suggest uh, that you join the union. But as you said, every actor's journey is different. It's certainly a personal preference. But I think what, what hangs people up and what used to hang me up and when I eventually found out that this is not a reason to worry at all is this idea that you'll never really get anywhere in your career until you're in the union or that union should be your main goal and focus. And that's really not the case. I completely agree. I think, yes, it's absolutely personal to everybody. Some people feel ready to join. Um and I found, too, as much as everybody's different, it does depend on who you are. As a female, frankly, in musical theater, just kind of a numbers reality that the competition's a little bit higher in your 20s. There just happen to be more females. And I found, since I am very much a character type, that if I were to get in the union, I'd be competing against a handful of very, very well-off character actresses. Um, now, if I were more solidly a dancer... For example, this isn't true for everyone, but if I were more solidly a dancer, there may be a good chunk more work if I were to join the union or if I were more solidly a clear ingenue. But it's, again, very much a preference. I would, I just feel with my type, I'd be in a tougher place. And I agree. I think joining the union can be great if you're ready, but many actors think it will be a magic solution, just like, oh, if I get the right agent, I will never have to try again. And I think the reality is, in a good way, Again, it will always be a struggle for everybody, and there's no one thing that'll suddenly make it easier. And a lot of actors think the union is that golden ticket. It's it's not necessarily. Well, you're exactly right. That's a great point that they think similarly about getting an agent. That's very true, and it's also very true that it's it doesn't necessarily change anything much at all, at, at least at first, sadly. Um, and the agent will even say to you, you got to still be out there hustling, getting your own work, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so those are all great points. And um, also, people have to remember that if and when you do get in the union, you got to pay a bunch of money. Now you got to got dues and things to pay too. Before, regardless of whether you're working or not. Mm-hmm. And that's the catch. And a lot of folks are t- are interested because of the benefits, but I know you have to work a certain amount to get the health insurance and. It's hard to book that much work, union or non-union, so you just have to keep that in mind as well. Exactly. So there's always a catch. Yeah, unfortunately, every aspect of this business is very complicated and very difficult, and not trying to be a total bummer, but people do need to understand that, that uh, you know, a lot of people come to New York excited with dreams and, and are very positive, and that's a great thing. But, I, you know, and this is another thing that's come up frequently on the show already is I really wish that acting schools would take some time to prepare their students for the realities of the business more because it is so different. I completely agree with that. And I actually have a degree in classical singing, not musical theater. So I had a little bit of a different path in college. And I'm actually quite grateful for that because... I didn't really have a set idea of how it would be. I just kind of blindly jumped in saying, okay, I want to go back to theater. I'll figure it out. And because I had to figure it out, I figured out some things. <laughs> and um, I think theater programs are wonderful, but it's hard to know. And I think especially in the world of a very changing business and a changing world that keeps up with the time, it's hard to prepare kids for that in school. And you can have all the training in the world or think you really know how the business is, but until you're in that real world, and I agree, I think time would be better spent even taking business courses in school because, you know, you really are your own business owner and no one can prepare you for the equity dues, the days of auditioning, uh, how you can get your own work, reaching out to people, and the ins and outs of balancing six different jobs, and I think those are the things either they need to teach in school or we just need to learn on our own. But that's the day-to-day life. Very much so. But I will say I'm also very positive because doing this show now a little bit and, and have a lot more people scheduled for, for recordings coming up, but those that I have spoken to already, uh, even people who are very new to the city or just out of school, they seem to have a really good head on their shoulders and they don't seem to be... Uh, you know, unrealistic or anything. So it's, uh, mm-hmm. I've definitely gotten some really positive uh, vibes from, from people. It's good to see that the next upcoming generation of actors hopefully has a lot of really good, solid, solid folks in it. But you were saying that um, you generally uh, go for the more character roles. You don't do the traditional, you don't go for like the singing and dancing ensemble in the musical. Um, yes. Well, so I've been cast a lot in the ensemble, which I find, um, because I'm kind of a character, there tends to be a spot for me in a lot of shows. Mm -hmm. And I also have that kind of tricky type of often, where, where am I placed? Um, but it was funny because I did go to school for singing. And when I was like a teenager, I had a really big voice for a little girl. And I always thought I am the singer. And I did theater for a while. Then I went to school for classical music thinking, oh, I think I just want to teach music. And then I missed theater. So I got back into it. But um, I graduated school with a trained voice thinking, 
this is my niche. And it was one of my very first gigs. A couple directors told me, no, I think you're a character actor. Like you really need to go for the funny stuff, go for the quirky stuff. And once I kind of discovered this is my markability, this is what I do, it kind of changed the way I was auditioning and changed how many more callbacks I was getting. So I think with any actor, going back to seeing yourself as a business, it's really important to know where you fit. And that's not to put yourself in a box to say you can't do other things, but um, just like selling a product, you want to know specifically what is it I do well that can get me started on jobs. And I know for me, being the funny, wacky girl is what gets me places. So that's what I really, really hone in on when I'm auditioning for anything. And yes, I'll still market that I'm a singer. I still take dance class, but I really try to focus in any audition on, hey, here I am, here's the funny girl. This is what I do differently. Well, that's all very good points. And what's interesting, though, is that you have a very cool and I would think unusual combo of the comedic type and the the flair for or ability to do comedy, I assume, and the, the type of sort of sillier, you know, more offbeat comedic characters, but also classical singing training. And while those two things may not always need to go together, I'm sure there are cases where they do, and that makes for a really nice kind of powerhouse and an unusual one-two punch for you. Certainly does, and in today's world, um, one of my favorite niches in the world is musical sketch and musical improv. Mm -hmm. Um, For anyone who knows Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, that's probably my favorite show on the planet, Um, and I also write musical parodies as a fun side project. Um, They're on my YouTube channel every week. I put a new one out a week, and I'm finding the musical comedy is something very specific. That's what I often try to lead with. Because it does shock folks, like, you're funny, and then also having the voice as kind of a thing to pull out really gives me, like, that's something special I've been seeking. So I've still been working for years on, like, how do I specifically market this in a case-by-case situation, but those are kind of my two big skills, funny and singing well, so I try to lump them together and find the right roles for that or create my own. Well, that's really great, and doing your own musical sketches and songs and things is a great thing to do and a great way to make your own content. We'll, of course, put links to your YouTube and everything else on the episode notes of this, and we'll get all that from you at the end, Uh, but that's really cool. Now, I really am curious about this as well. You know, so when you say classical singing, you mean like opera-style singing, right? Yes, my undergrad degree was voice performance, so for a bit I thought I wanted to go that opera music teacher route. So my question is, is there a big difference, uh, and I'm sure there's definitely some overlap depending on the style of the musical, but is there a big difference between a, a opera type, you know, how an opera person approaches singing versus singing songs in musical theater, excuse me, and can that be a disadvantage, you know, if someone doesn't know how to make that shift of style, you know, at a musical theater audition, are they going to go, well, she can sing technically, but she's singing like opera, this is not, this is a musical, like, is there a real difference in style there? That is actually a very good question, and um, something I had to go through, I... 
I think, first off, training is very important for singers, and it's something that's kind of falling by the wayside in today's world of let's just get jobs. I think dancers can speak to that as well. Um, you know, being able to throw yourself in a show without years of classical singing training or dance training, you will get burned out eventually. And I think training is falling by the wayside. Um, so I'm very grateful I had years of training, and it's years out of school that I'm seeing how much it's helped me. However, style, I, I like that you said the word style because that really hits the nail on the head. Um, it's its as if, say, you know, when you're writing a paper in college and you have to do, you know, hours and hours of research, and then you end up writing the paper and you only need, you know, 25% of that research, and it's frustrating to think, but I, I have all that. I need to show it. And I think singing in a style is similar to that. You know, you have many different ways to use your instrument, but you can only use this chunk of it, you know? Mm-hmm. So you need to just put, um, say, like, okay, I'm only using this part of my voice, and you need to kind of know what's the way I funnel it out. Um, like musical theater, for example, if you're singing... Um, Let's say Thoroughly Modern Millie just came to mind. I used to sing that in college. Um, uh, one of Millie's songs, it's far, it's very forward. It's very like in a spoken place. If you're singing, say, Jimmy from Thoroughly Modern Millie. And I may have this big high soprano sound, but I need to put it in a different place for that song. And I have all the tools to do it. It's just knowing in my mind, okay, I need it to sound this specific way. That makes perfect sense. That's exactly what I was wondering about. And I I want to expound on what you were saying about uh, the lack of training because that's very interesting because one of the topics I love to talk about on this podcast is actor training because I'm fascinated by that. Uh, I was someone who never had much formal training and I uh, didn't really like it when I did, and I and I, I know that hurt me for sure. And now, uh, objectively, I'm really curious about acting training. Um, but what I would say is what's interesting is that it's easy for people to assume that actors can get by without training, and that's not really necessarily true, but people think that. But with something like singing or dancing, I know I feel like, you know, people would think, well, no, that's different. That's very technical. You know, singing, you got to have training. Um, so I don't know how people can can be singers without technical training, but, but you're saying people think they can? Well, that's very interesting training, and I think from an acting perspective, too, um, because as much as I believe training, it is important, and not to contradict what I said before, but there can be a balance of the right kind of training and also too much training. Um, mm-hmm. Because going back to style, I know for a long time, like I was terrified of my musical theater belt sound and my voice had all the tools to do it, but it took me a couple of years out of school. I was actually on a job when I remember finally finding my belt because I was forced to sing two hours a night. It was cabaret dinner theater. And suddenly my voice was like, Oh, this is what you do. You know, without a teacher telling me I learned, this is what I do. And I just didn't know how to access that sound. Physically, my voice could do it, but I think there was just a mental block of it. And I hadn't really in school been using that sound. And then for a while, when I was auditioning for 60s shows, um, which are big now, I was never straight toning my sound, which means no vibrato. And finally, I had a teacher tell me, um, 
you know, you just don't have the right sound. It, this is a simple fix. Once I flipped that little switch, it was like, oh, so that was just a simple fix, but I didn't quite know. And I think my crazy amount of training in my head didn't let me make the simple flip of, oh, let me listen to that singer and see what they do. And then also the catch with too much training, I know for many years and still it's a pretty common struggle that um, I get very in my head when I'm singing because that's where I have the training. Whereas like you throw me in a dance show, I don't know as much about dance and so I can enjoy it more. But when I started musical improv, for example, I was very, very in my head about, oh, I have to think about my singing. I have to analyze it instead of just doing it. So in that sense, I've had so much training in the singing, I sometimes overanalyze it and the training doesn't serve me. So training is important, but it's very much, sometimes we need to let it go as well. And I think with acting, the same can actually be true. I think actors do need to train. There is a technique and it's very, very important that you spend the time studying it. But then there's that balance of knowing when can I let the technique go, if that makes any sense. No, it does. I think one of the, the common ideas is get a lot of training, get a lot of tools in your toolbox, and then mm-hmm. you have to figure out which tools apply for which, you know, which jobs, which roles. And then also ultimately in the moment, trust yourself those tools mm-hmm. come out as a result of your preparation, everything. But at that point, you really have to be in the moment. Um, so that's all, no, those are all great points. Um, but again, just to, to drill down a little more on what you did say earlier, you know, it seemed like you were saying that there are singers out there or musical theater actors out there who, who don't concern themselves with the training aspect of their singing. How does that work? I like to relate singing as it is a physical muscle, just like just like you're dancing um, or just like if you were an athlete and you really have to keep it fresh. Now for every singer that's different at every stage in your career, you know, there's when I was right out of school, I felt like I needed a weekly voice lesson. Uh, Now I'm kind of at the point like once a month, maybe twice a month if I'm working on something is enough for me to keep the instrument fresh as long as I'm practicing and maintaining. And then if I'm away on a job for a couple months, it'll go longer than that. But I consider, you know, regular voice lessons, because it's one more actor expense, as like kind of my upkeep. It's like an athlete going to a coach. And I think singers fail to see that. Um, And I know if you're having vocal issues, um, like I perform in children's theater a lot. I do a gig every holiday that's just quite intense on the voice. And I always go through a little fatigue. And it always reminds me, okay, my singing is a muscle. I have to stop and take care of it. am I using proper technique? Because when you're fatiguing or running through problems, that's when you see that this is what I need. So taking that approach that you're singing is a physical action and treating it just as you would a body muscle, I think is very important for singers. Well, absolutely. And as you said, and as you alluded to earlier as well, the other big thing is if you don't know how to maintain it properly and take care of it so you can do eight shows a week, you know, then, then you're going to, then that's, you're going to have a problem. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. I remember and to start out with that. Yep. Sorry. Um, just to start out with that, as you were saying, you do need some kind of foundation. It's different for everybody what they do need, but 
if you don't have that foundation to begin with, you'll run into trouble. So Absolutely. And I would say, too, that, you know, for actors who don't sing, um, there is still an element of that. There is still an element of technical voice training, technical taking care of your voice. Because even though you're talking rather than singing, you still need a voice that works properly and you still need to take care of it so you can do your performances, etc. And these are all things that when I was an actor, I was very naive about and took for granted and I wish I didn't. So I think actors need to remember that stuff too. I remember famously, um, not famously, but I remember reading that when Kristen Chenoweth and Sean Hayes were doing uh, Promises, Promises on Broadway, you know, Sean Hayes had never been in a Broadway show before, and I read that she taught him, like, all this stuff about how to take care of yourself, how to take care of your voice, you know, everything you need to do to maintain that Broadway schedule. Um, mm-hmm. That stuff is, is essential, you know. Um, cool. So, um, so I do want to go back through your background and your training. We, we started touching on that a little bit already. But um, first of all, where where are you from? Where did you grow up? I grew up in Boston. Um, I'm told I don't have an accent, which makes me very proud. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't hear the Boston accent, you know. <laughs> That's good. It comes out when I'm talking to my parents. Yeah, um, yeah so I grew up in Boston. Um, I went to college in New Jersey, so that kind of – got me transitioning to New York because I spent all my time and money coming here every weekend and realized I got to move somewhere. Why don't I just move to New York? So um, I've been here since I got out of school. And uh, so far, I haven't wanted to leave, as crazy as it can be. As they say, you know, it's really hard to go anywhere else once you're used to the city. And I love it here. (laughs) No, that's great. But so growing up, um, did you say earlier that you, you started singing when you were very young? Yes, I guess. I formally started lessons when I was in the sixth grade, so a little young to be doing formal lessons, but um, I'd always just had a love for it. I sang in my church choir. Um, my parents forced me to pick piano, and one of those things I'm very grateful for years later because I knew how to read music. Yeah. Um, and... Yeah, I remember, I think part of it was I didn't love piano because I was too restless to sit still and I wanted people looking at me. So I thought, why don't I be a singer? And um, yeah, my older sister who works in business, she also played piano and she was really good at that because she was good at the math mind and sitting and focusing. Um, I wasn't. So I started voice lessons and always had an interest in the theater, Um, did get a fair amount of training. I had a good teacher at a young age and I just stuck with it, and then when I was going to high school, um, something in me clicked that, okay, I really, really want to do this, and there was a great performing arts high school in the Boston area, and I begged my parents to let me audition, and at that age, they were, none of them are in the arts, and they were very wary of, like, oh, yeah, we're letting you do this, but not as a career, and I thanked them every day. They let me audition. When I was accepted, they made it work financially, so I went to an arts high school and had a just a very different high school experience because I really got to focus on a young age of this is what I want to do. So, and then that led me for a bit to think I wanted to do singing, but got me back to theater. So I guess from a young age, I kind of knew this is my thing. 
You know, you're the, the second or third person I've interviewed who ended up at a performing arts high school. You know, I wouldn't have thought or realized that there are so many of these performing arts high schools out there, but there really are, which is great. I think the right people are driven to them, too, which is cool. Absolutely. So, okay, so you did the performing arts high school, and at that point where you, you were training as a singer, were you already learning how to sing opera style, or what kind of singing were you doing? Um, it was about halfway through high school, um, midway through my junior year, that I switched over to the voice program. Uh, I had been in the theater program, and there was that point where I thought, oh, maybe I'd rather do classical singing, and I'm glad I fully explored that, because I had to kind of do it to know it wasn't for me, and I wanted to be back on stage. But, um, yeah, it was like towards the end of high school that I thought, I'll try the classical route, and I did. But beginning of high school was pure theater. I got some really solid acting training, so that was great, too. Excellent. And, you know, I said this to someone else about performing arts high school the other day. Uh, you know, looking back on my teenage years, and we were lucky enough, it wasn't a performing arts high school, but it was a high school with a very involved drama program. But, but... You know, I feel like it's so hard to get teenagers to really take it seriously and be disciplined and put their egos and their their adolescent energies and adolescent angst aside. You know, how did you find you and your and your fellow students in high school, you know, responded to the training and and were you guys taking it seriously then? That is a funny question. Um I recently ran into a friend who's been doing very well um, working professionally in theater, and we were talking about it, and he and I were saying um, it was just a very different experience for high school, not just for the training, but in how much we were forced to grow up in high school. I feel like we went to college four years early, in a sense, um, because we really just had to focus on what we wanted, and while going through adolescence, we had all this intense training, all this high competition, and there were definitely times it wasn't easy. Arts high school is its own realm, but I also do firmly believe the right people are drawn to it. Like, I would not take back that experience for anything. I still have some of my dearest friends from that school and some of my favorite experiences, and I think that's where I was meant to be, and years later, I thank the school just for the growing up it ha enabled me to do. Uh, because, again, I just had to have such a focus at a young age and such a drive, such a way to deal with really tough stuff in life. So I found it an incredible experience, and I think that's what performing arts high schools really offer, because you can get the training wherever, but that life experience you really can't get elsewhere, and I'm very grateful I had it. So this is similar to what my other guest uh, the other day said about her performing arts high school. So I just want to be clear, is what you're saying that, you know, they forced you guys to, to take it seriously? Because, you know, was it a situation where if you didn't, you know, do well enough and keep up with everything that you could get kicked out? or um, Not kicked out so much, but if it wasn't for you, you learned very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. And, um... I remember that being one of the hardest parts about our school was that people did come and go. I was there the solid four years, and a lot of folks weren't. We had a good amount of transfers who would come only two or three years. And 
it would be hard as a teenager that your friends would leave your school. Um, and we were primarily boarding, so people would come from all over. And, you know, sometimes it was just the case that they weren't ready to be away from home. And um, it so, but the real thing was you were intensely focusing every day on your craft. Um, if you didn't want to be in acting classes every day, doing some pretty deep stuff, if you didn't want the competition of not getting into shows, and then once I switched to music, like if you didn't want to practice hours a day, there was no reason for you to be there. And I think kids really learned very quickly what they wanted and what they didn't want. And um, so it was a very, very good experience in that sense. <clears throat> so Makes sense. Yeah, no, that's great. And I assume you were also expected to keep up with your academics and regular subjects. Yes, and that was the real hard balance because, um, especially in high school, you know, we still had to take SATs, and I, I got to thank my parents for telling me, like, you still have to care about your SATs because um, I got a decent score, which is what helped me to get a scholarship to school, and that was very helpful because I was able to afford college. But, um, yeah, trying to keep up your academics while doing that kind of training was was difficult, and I think in a way, too, it prepared me very well for New York life because there's a lot to balance in my day-to-day life here, and I had to start doing that when I was 15, so that's another thing it really taught me. Yeah, again, that's that's funny. That's exactly what came up with my other guest the other day about, I, may, I think I made the comparison between, you know, having to do your other subjects and focusing on the arts with in in current life, her having to work her day job at her restaurant and and also mm-hmm. acting stuff. So um, great. So you finished at this great high school, and at that point, you said you're you're on your classical singing path, and you ended up getting a scholarship to your college. Yes, I got a good scholarship and a good chunk of loan. So luckily for me. Um, college was very cheap. It was a fair trade-off because high school was not. <laughs> but right. as my parents joke, that's how I got to go to college. Right. But, um, right. but yes, that ended up working out nicely. That's a big reason I chose Westminster Choir College uh, where I went. I also really liked my voice teacher there. And for studying singing, anyone who studies music can relate. It's really about the individual teacher you have. Um, because they're the ones you spend the time with. They're the ones you build your voice. And I adored my teacher. And I'm also very lucky that she had done a lot of work in musical theater and was open to that. Um, because not quite knowing it at the time, that's what I wanted to do. And I remember a year or two into school sitting her down and being like, yeah, I, I miss theater. I don't know if I'm in the right program. And I was lucky I had her because she understood that. And so so you had the same main voice teacher all throughout college? Yes. Um, for the four-year degree, you do stick with the same person. And That's great. Yeah, it's great because then you, especially for undergrad, you really need to build a foundation with your voice. That's the time. And then if you do go on to a master's, as many of my friends did, it's often a good idea to have somebody different. Um or if you're just out working in the world, like I've worked with a couple different teachers since school, um, just because as we were talking about training, going back to that, like, you know, there's a balance of too much or not the right amount. And I think it's very important in today's world to hear different opinions because everyone will tell you something different. And 
no one person has all the solutions. So as an artist, it's kind of our responsibility to be like, okay, what are all the different opinions out there and what of it works for me? Yes, exactly. That's, that's one of the big, uh, the big things about it for sure. So in college, you're, you're doing the, the classical voice performance focus. And are you also studying acting or anything during college or no? Um, a little bit. I had the opportunity, um, to minor in theater once I discovered that was what I really wanted to do. Um, because Westminster Choir College, they are no longer, but they were a part for a while of Ryder University in New Jersey. And Ryder has a phenomenal theater program. So I had the advantage my last year or two, um, to take a few classes over at Ryder. So I got to take just an acting class or two, get back into dance. And I wish I'd had more time for it, but it did kind of get me back in the theater world and remind me, okay, this is where I want to focus when I get to the city. Um, and like the dance specifically was a big thing because I danced a lot when I was younger. I really missed doing it and getting back into that was really great and gave me some direction for when I moved to New York. So you ended up deciding that you knew you didn't want to be an opera singer. You wanted to be in musical theater. Mm-hmm. Cool. And then, great. So then you ended up in New York, obviously. Um, but clearly, as you already said, you, you're always using your technical opera and technical singing in terms of your approaches to singing and taking care of your voice and so forth. Yes. And I also think, finally, it gave me having the different life experience was kind of cool because it just made me so clear what I did want to do. You know, because um, if you only study theater, I think I would have been burned out from it fast and always wondered, what if there's something else? But because I was away from it, I knew it's what I wanted if it made any sense. No, I get that. Sure. In other words, stepping away from the theater focus, moving over to the classical singing focus, that gave you some space to start to realize, oh, actually, I missed the theater stuff. Exactly. Very cool. And... um so, uh, you know, we mentioned this earlier, during college or even back in your performing arts high school, was there any talk of the business? Did they give you guys any, any lessons or anything that prepared you for, for the actual business of being an actor and a singer or no? That is a good question. Um, there would be talk of it and we'd be warned like, oh, you know, you're going to be busy. You're going to have to do this and that. But, um. There really was not, you know, a fourth of what there should have been. And I think that there's nothing, that's nothing on my schools. That's just true of kind of the school model right now. Um, they really don't focus on what actors really need to know day to day. Because, you know, you can give killer auditions for your school shows, but unless you can do that same audition on five hours of sleep while balancing out your two day jobs that same day while dealing with the roaches in your apartment. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a different, it's a different deal. So I think that's just something schools are sorely lacking in. And even specifically the training, um, again, I found it because I've had to seek it out on my own. You know, you can have teachers teaching you the most wonderful technical things, but not necessarily the things that'll get you the right jobs. Like they're missing something in the style. And I think that's a difference too of being quite in the business because, um, 
with training, I, I found the teachers and coaches that are most effective are the ones that are solidly working in the business right now because they know this is the sound they want. This is the material they want in that audition room. And so to really successfully train, you have to be with people that are in the business. And maybe there's no way to remedy that in the schools. Maybe the schools give you one thing and then the training you do in the city gives you another. Well, you know, that that's a really important point. That's one of the things I'm always interested in about training is, you know, are the people that are teaching you, you know, experienced themselves? Are they still doing it themselves? All that kind of stuff is, is a very important question, yes. Um, and also, you know, you alluded to this, you know, I hope, hopefully, jokingly about the roaches, but it's ha- this has come up. What people need to know is that New York City, it's it's quite expensive, even much more so these days than it used to be, and it's always been. Um, and finding a good apartment and all that is very hard. And mm-hmm. came up on a previous podcast about just being really careful, being really smart when you're looking for apartments and avoiding scams and avoiding shady situations. So there's a lot. There's a lot to deal with about your life in New York, even separate from your from your from your artistic goals. So it's it's a tough thing. So that's a perfect segue to my next question, which is, you know, what happened when you first got here? What was the first thing you did? How'd you find an apartment and a job? You know, how did that all go for you? Um quite a lot happened. I I moved two weeks after graduation as soon as I could find a sublet because um, I knew I just couldn't give myself time to think about it. I just had to do it or I never would. And mm, smart. I, yeah. yeah, it was pretty terrifying looking back. I'm like, wow, I did that. But, hey, I did and spend four and a half years and I'm still standing. So, um, yeah, I found a place on Gypsy Housing on Facebook, which is, I think it's now changed to Ghost Light Housing, but that is a... Fabulous group and one of the best examples of what social media can do for you. Ghost Ghost Light? Yes, I believe Gypsy Housing has changed their name. There was a big scandal with equity about the, the word gypsy, so um, okay. I could be wrong, but I want to say well, we'll, we'll double check and we'll post the link to that in the episode notes as well. But so this is a group of like this is a group for like actors seeking housing. Yes. And um there's a few different ones, but that one is the main group, and I highly recommend it because actors from all over will post, and of course, the most ideal with a housing situation um, is to go with someone you know, like if a friend is on a yeah. job. However, I found on that group, even if you go to random posts with strangers, you'll often find, oh, you have a connection, or you sure. know somebody I know, and um, my first apartment, I got very lucky. I... Just happened, I was looking with friends, but nothing quite clicked. I happened to find just a person I didn't know who was looking to fill the third bedroom. Um, it started out as summer, and then it went long-term for a year. But it was a place up in Harlem um, for a very, very good rate, right off the train. And, you know, having never spent time in New York City, Harlem terrified me a little. It terrified my parents a lot. I had to pay the deposit without telling my parents. Um, but... I ended up in this place for the summer, and then afterward, I took it on as a year-long, long-term sublet, and again, I hadn't known the person, but I ended up loving the roommate. It was a good situation, and after that, I took over the lease, 
for two years. So I was in that same apartment for years. And um, I got very lucky because, again, it was affordable. It was a great location, um, both safety and also just commute-wise. It was a very good commute. And that, But it's always an adventure. And the reason I ended up leaving that place was because once I took over the lease and once I was lucky enough to book traveling work, which the majority of musical theater actors will have to deal with that. You'll often book work out of town, and then you'll discover – oh, I'm paying rent on an empty place. My salary's not that high going back to non-union work. Yeah. So what do you do? You rent, rent out your room. And yes. um, I was doing that quite frequently. And being on a lease, it was difficult because I realized, well, why can't I just be a subletter again? And then I also ran into the problem of being on a lease. I had a couple people who were not on it, and I ended up having to fill rooms that were not my own. So uh, I will not talk the rest of the podcast about that story because I could write a book, but I ended up having to replace three other roommates within three months, um, half the time while being out of town. And I realized I don't really need to be on a lease right now. I got the rest of my life to own a place. So uh, about a year and a half ago, I gave up the lease. And since then, I've been doing the gypsy life of just subletting when I'm in town. Um, in From August 2017 to 2018, I think it was seven different homes if you count contracts. So... Now I'm in that balance, and right now I'm in a nine-month sublet while a friend is on a cruise, and that's a great situation right now. It's um, Nine months is a solid amount of time. I have lovely roommates, a good rate on rent, and it's a friend's place. So I've gone through quite the housing gamut, but um, housing is definitely its own experience in New York, and something they won't teach you in school is something you just got to do. But these are a lot of important points that I'm glad you bring up. This is very helpful for people. So... First of all, the notion that if you want to and if it suits your lifestyle, you can do the quote-unquote gypsy thing of moving from room to room as long as you're careful about it. Uh, but it, mm-hmm. it's the pressure of thinking you have to commit to some long-term situation. Uh, also, what you said about the questions of are you on the lease, are you not on the lease, are you renting a room and then subletting that room to someone else, it gets very complicated and you do have to be careful with the realities and figure out what the situation is with your particular lease and your particular landlord. So it does get complicated, but you know, it can be done. Um, but yeah, just be careful. Do your due diligence. Uh, but it's great to know there is a community out there of people who, who work, work together with this housing stuff for you guys. So that's, uh, that's excellent. Exactly. And that's another situation where you realize, like, no actor is alone because everybody goes through the same situation with housing. Like, it's not easy for anyone. And I think it's bound to be trial and error. There are going to be situations that just don't work. Um, You know, my Harlem apartment was on the whole a great situation. But our final year there, they raised the rent a, a legally high amount a week before the lease started. We were stuck with that. And I was stuck with paying higher rent and also filling rooms. So that year I ended up like dropping a good thousand or two thousand of my own money on increased rent that was not mine. And that was just a learning situation. I was like, all right, I got to get out of this situation. And, uh, you know, a few of my temporary sublets have been really interesting as well. I ended up in one that had a horrible commute that was just affecting my health how long I was on the train every day. <laughs> So I think you're just bound to go through those situations. It's not a perfect situation, but it's part of what makes our life exciting. And how cool is that to have the advantage to get to move around, you know, to get to rent out your place? Um, 
So it's it's definitely just going to be trial and error, just like auditions and just like day jobs. You're going to have to go through a few that don't work. It's the nature of it. No, but it, it, it really, it's funny because I haven't been in that world myself in a long time, but it makes me think back. It, it really does give you that freedom, though, that you kind of need if you're choosing to focus on being an actor, you know, the ability to, to go out of town at a moment's notice and, and all that kind mm-hmm. of thing. So, um, and uh, by the way, you reminded me, I'm glad you said it because I realized there was, I knew there was something else I wanted to say, which is, you know, to be clear for people that aren't in New York yet, you know, obviously, understandably, people from outside of here or the way your parents, you know, thought, you know, they hear Harlem and you think of these old stereotypes. But please know, everybody, that Harlem is not this dangerous place that it used to be in movies in the past. It's a it's it's like all of Manhattan. It's a very good neighborhood. And mm-hmm. it, and East Harlem and Washington Heights and all these places tend to be a little more affordable for housing, and, and they're really good neighborhoods now. So so correct me if I'm wrong, Julie, but I don't think people need to be scared of Harlem anymore. <laughs> no, absolutely. Um, yeah, the point I was making was that was my ignorant brain, but Harlem is now, hands down, my favorite neighborhood in the city. Um, there you go. It's yeah. so beautiful, and depending on where you go, I mean, I can't even afford the place I once was. It's gotten a little too nice now, but um, right. it's, it's such a beautiful neighborhood, and with any neighborhood in New York, it's really a matter of where you go, and I think that's true of moving to any new city. People go with their biases, but um, there's so much, well, not space in New York, but there are a lot of places to live, and, you know, neighborhoods are trial and error, too. Like, I know I did a brief stint in Brooklyn. A lot of people love it. I was very far out, but I learned, like, I hated being that far away. I didn't like being in another borough, so... That wasn't quite for me. I loved uptown, and I happened to find a niche in it that I love. So there's just so many different places to live in New York, and you really have to find what you can afford, what's a good commute, but also what you where you enjoy being. Um, I just enjoy spending time in Harlem. I still teach up there, and I love being up there. That's great. And, um, you know, other than all the common sense and due diligence that we've already mentioned, is there any specific advice you would give someone who was planning on moving into the city, into New York, for their first time? Um, in terms of housing, I would say um, breathe and accept it's going to work out, because it will. <laughs> yeah. um, I also would say don't be afraid to go for what you want. Do not settle, because if something seems off about a place... Um, like, if you're worried, the commute's going to be bad. That happened in one of my sublets. From the start, I thought, I don't know if I can handle this commute. My instinct was right. Um, you know, but also, don't be afraid to try something slightly new. Um, I'm currently in Astoria, Woodside, and I adore the neighborhood. I have a crazy good rate for rent, um, a very solid commute, lovely roommates, and I... I wanted so badly to stay in Harlem. I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to try a new borough. So be open to things that are new if they feel like they'll work. Um, don't be afraid to settle, to go for what you want. And just accept that it's going to work out. And if it doesn't, you're going to be okay. Because, again, no housing situation in New York is perfect. And you're going to have to go through a couple things. So just accept it's going to be okay and that we're all in that same boat. 
Yeah, that's great. And, you know, incidentally, um, I'm quite, I, I lived in Queens for a long time. And uh, I think Astoria and that whole area, Astoria, Woodside, Sunnyside, Long Island City, is still one of the best places to be, not only because they're great neighborhoods, but they are so convenient. You, you know, you shoot right mm -hmm. into Manhattan. You know, it's, it's very easy. So, um, so that's great. And um, you said something, and you were talking about, you know, things that might not work out as far as commute and stuff, but, and this has come up before, um, you also want to be careful about any red flags in terms of, you know, if something seems sketchy, if something seems too good to be true, or the details are mm -hmm. unclear, or they want money up front. You know, one of my previous guests, Rachel Romack, we had a whole great talk about this. You know, if they want money up front or they're not willing to meet you in person or show you the place, any obvious, questionable things like that, red flags, you know, be on high alert because there are, unfortunately, a lot of scams out there. Oh, yeah. And I think that's relatable to finding acting gigs or day jobs as well. Like, use your common sense. And um, the Facebook group I mentioned, it is very, very helpful because it's a good way to connect. Of course, you'll meet a handful of sketchy people, but the same will happen on Craigslist. The same will happen if you put an ad in the paper back in the day. And just going with your gut. And also, if something doesn't work out, I mean, safety first, but if you happen to move in somewhere and discover it's not a good situation, because that, that does happen. I haven't quite been in that boat, but I know many people who have. You know, you have the power to get out. You always have the power to change, and your safety will come first. Um, yes, exactly. And um, sorry, one second here. No problem. Okay, yes. So, um, so great. So then you found your first place, and then what did you start doing at first as far as finding day jobs or whatever? That That's quite a story. Um, I moved in. I saved a good amount of money for my senior year of college, which I recommend anyone to do. I took on like a second part-time job there. Um, you know, come in with whatever you can, just not, you know, more than $50 in the bank if you can. But um, I started, because I've always been a babysitter, I right away started looking for nanny jobs because that's certainly a market in New York. My first nanny job was quite interesting. Um, I ended up doing five days a week for a family. The kids had pretty severe special needs and I was a little nervous about that because I was 22 right out of college. I had a lot of experience with kids, but um, the parents made it clear. They're like, oh, we want a younger sitter, someone fun. And I found out later they were just trying to, they had a full-time nanny with a degree in special needs, and they were basically trying to cut costs and give it to someone younger who they could pay half. Um, I lasted a good maybe month and a half in that job and made a good amount of money. But with my experience with kids, I could see right away, like, I'm just not qualified for this job. I, for the safety of the kids, I think it's best I not continue here. And um, I gave leave for that, and luckily it gave me a good chunk of money, but it taught me, don't jump into the first job you find. I had been determined to have a solid job. Um, then I did a brief stint selling Mary Kay products. Uh, I know a lot of folks out there who do the independent contractors. That was a good experience for me. Um, I had a few 
strange situations with it, but that was good for me to know. Okay, independent sales is not for me either because um, there are many, many good chains with independent sales. My particular situation was not great, and I ran into a few scams that were not great. So uh, I had two jobs right off the bat within my first two months that were not working out well, and that that was hard. That was really hard to accept, like, oh, God, this is hard. So I think everybody has to go through a few really rough jobs. And after that, I ended up settling on a much better nanny job. Um, I found a lovely family in Queens right by Midtown. With one child, I was her primary nanny just three days a week, so it was part-time. Um, that was quite a nice job, and that took me through for a few months. It made, like, enough money, and then I had time to pick up other jobs on the side and still audition in the morning, still do classes and shows in the evening. And then in November and December, I booked my first out-of-town gig, and that was my first experience of, oh, my goodness, um, I got a tour I really want. Um, the tail end of a tour with a week's notice. What do I do? And luckily, my nanny family was very understanding. They, you know, they said, you'll only be gone a short time. We'll take you back. We'll make it work. Um, but that was the first indicator to me of, oh, wow, out-of-town jobs are a really good deal. Because <laughs> um, every actor will have to go through that. I had to go through, I found a last-minute subletter, and that was quite an experience. I, you know, that was an experience where I found lots of interesting people. Um, but when I got back from tour, I had had a subletter for enough of the time that I saved a good chunk of tour money. I came right into audition season, like January, February, March. I got back the end of January. So when I came back from that, I had to go through all of the different day job realms. Like that's when I started camping um, because I learned I just couldn't take on regular sitting again. And my family had a work change situation. They didn't need me. And um, since then... I remember counting once. I think I worked something like 12 different jobs my first year in the city. Yeah. And um, and I have to say since then, because I then went away that summer again, um, I really haven't held one steady job. Um, yeah, the last time I held a steady job was fall 2015. I did a phone sales gig for a while that I just did not love. And um, I around that time, I started teaching yoga again. I got certified in college. I started teaching again about a year after moving to the city once I was settled. And I've pretty much just done the freelance life. Um, Temping has been great. That's really sustained me between contracts. But I haven't really held one solid job. I've just kind of taken whatever jobs I need to pay the rent while I'm in the city. And it's certainly been a crazy life. And there are times I reconsider that. But uh, for me, that's that works. I make the money I need to, usually more than enough, pay for classes as well. And I have a very different schedule every day. So, um, yeah, I would tell actors, like, your first couple jobs are going to be rough. Um, you're going to have to go through a few. And even the jobs you love, it's going to go up and down. But in a sense, that's a really good sign because it means you are here for your craft and if you get too locked into one job, that's going to probably be a different direction for you. Yeah, absolutely. And um, this has come up, of course, this is one of the big, you know, topics of the podcast. So a few things in there I want to unpack. First of all, this idea that you can live this sort of temp, freelance, job-to-job kind of lifestyle. It can be tricky, but it can definitely be done. And um, I don't know if you work with uh, perhaps the same temp agency one of my previous guests was talking about. I don't recall the name of it, but it's on the episode. Um, she was saying this particular temp agency really um, 
works with a lot of actors and they're very flexible and they have jobs with all sorts of random hours. It's not just nine to five, you know, so there's mm-hmm. there really are a lot of options out there. Yeah, there certainly are. Um, I've mostly been with the same temp agency and I happen to adore them. They're just very good people. They're very organized. And the big plus of temping is that it just does have such a flexibility because, um, Unlike nannying where you can't really like leave with a week's notice or, you know, it's not that it's ever good to be late for a job, but, you know, if you're covering reception, it's less of a big deal if you're 10 minutes late from your lunch break because you're caught up at an audition. Whereas, you know, if you're picking up a child from school, that's a much bigger deal. Um, And I've also found with temping too, there's never the pressure to say yes. So I know last February, I remember auditions were crazy. There was a solid two weeks where maybe I worked one job and I was living off my Christmas contract savings. So I was eating and paying rent, but auditions were insane. And I needed pretty much all my days free to hit up some open calls. Um, So temping just gives you that flexibility. And again, my agency is wonderful about like, if I have a couple weeks I can't work, that's okay with them, but I'll give them my availability, and they're often good about if I have one or two days a week free, they'll try to get me something. They'll try to book me something in advance, and then I'll plan my auditions around it. Like, okay, I'm out Monday and Tuesday that week, but I can solve the audition Wednesday, Thursday. How do I make that work? And then there's also the times um, I did an unpaid apprenticeship one summer, and I came back and, like, really needed some money, so I took on a week-and-a-half position with the agency and they're good about that. Um, even if you really need something full time for like a month or two, they often have someone on maternity leave and you know, there's just so many options with tempting. And what I found is if you're organized and communicate with them, they will work with you. And I think that's why they tend to really enjoy actors because we're organized. We're good at handling our lives. And also we are people with a good amount of skill sets. We're, um, we're good on computers. We are good people, persons, um, you know, agencies tend to love us and we have a bunch of different skill sets to offer. So if you are organized, I've just found temping is hands down the best position for me. It is so funny you say that because especially these days, you're right that actors need to be organized, computer savvy, et cetera, et cetera. But you would think that people would not think that. People would think, oh, in an actor is not going to be organized, is not going to be reliable, is not going to care about this job. But it's a very interesting and good point that it's actually quite the opposite, that actors, because of the nature of, of their lives, actually have the skills and the attributes that work well for these for these jobs. Exactly. So, you know, we got to cut the stereotypes about <laughs> because actors really are some of the smartest, exactly. hardworking people out there. Yep. Yeah. That's great. Um, <clears throat> very cool. And then how have you been overall with all this stuff as far as money management? Are you a good saver? Are you, do you, do you, are you constantly stressing about money? How does that work for you? Um, saving is very key. I think that's a key word to remember. Really um, is. When you are... Yes, when you are lucky enough to get a contract, that's again why subletting your apartment is a very crucial thing if you can make that work. Because um, saving on rent is a big reason out of town jobs give me such a high income. But um, you just gotta save any money you make out of town. So if you're on tour, 
try not to spend it all and you know, you you gotta hold on to it. And um, the holiday case gig I've done the last couple of years, I've been lucky because it's in a remote location, so there's not a whole lot to do there. And then also, it's a very tiring job. So with the kids and the bad weather, I always had to just take care of myself when I wasn't working. So that job has given me past three holidays. I've come back from that with uh, a solid at least five or six months rent safe, which is amazing. Um, going right into audition season. So I've stuck with that job for those reasons. And I'm now at the point trying to move away from children's entertainment for the rest of my life. But I just have kept saying yes to that job because I enjoy it and it gives me that money. So now and then making decisions like that is important. But um, saving the money you have and also looking at yourself as a business owner, which we talked a little bit about with in terms of marketing your type. Yeah. But you really have to look at yourself as this is the money I need for my business. How do I get it? You know, like your rent is the first thing, of course, but um, also monthly budget. Like you need to pay for a Metro card as well. And I usually give myself a spending budget every month. Like I'll start with about a hundred. I find like just a hundred as much as you don't think is generally enough to cover most of your basic food. Um, you know, so you don't need to spend as much as you think you do. And then also looking at like, what do I need for, lessons every month um you know do i need that one monthly voice lesson or do i need more um do i need my dance classes i i have to do work study for my dance classes which is crucial because it saves me a lot um do i need to take an acting class this month that's part of your budget too and i find what effectively works for me is i like to write down everything um you could drive yourself crazy but i write down of course all the expenses like i spent this on a class but i find to the, for the most part, writing down what you spend on food and social life is a really big deal. Because if you notice, like, oh, you know, I'm going out for a drink after a show every weekend. And, of course, that's a social thing. That's a networking thing. But if your friends are commonly picking the most expensive bar for their birthday and you really can't afford a $15 drink twice a weekend, good to know. You know, like, maybe I should focus my social life on having a movie night at my apartment instead. Um and then also noting, do I eat out a lot? Could I save a lot more money by prepping my food, which is a very simple thing to do, and, you know, taking that extra time. And, you know, if getting together with friends or even business collaborators, if they want to go to dinner at an expensive place, it's best to suggest, hey, can we go to Starbucks instead? And I'm racking up my Starbucks points, so I have a free drink there. So I think yeah. money management is critical. And, again, something they don't teach in school, but... um. I had a very lovely coach, a friend of mine who did some business and life coaching. I worked with her right after moving to the city, and I credit her for really teaching me right away how to manage money because I think if you're careful with your money, you'll find that you need to make a lot less than you think you do. Like, it is not essential to have a full-time income if you're a lot more careful with your money. So, so I love everything you just said. Those are exactly the kinds of things I was going to ask you. I think if your goal is to be able to do what you want with your time, then then uh, exactly what you said about saving, planning, budgeting is really the key. And I love what you just said at the end, too, that so much of it is outgo rather than income. You are absolutely right about that. Yep. And I think as anyone in America can say, like those who make the most often have the most debt. And oh, yeah. I think with the, with the actor lifestyle, since we need the flexibility to leave for auditions, um, it's very difficult to maintain a full-time job. You know, 
look at where your money goes is the first step. And um, also going back to rent, like that's a simple thing. I know when I had the lease situation, I was throwing so much money on maintaining my lease. And I realized this isn't a good use of my money. I could rent places and just save a lot. So I think the first thing for any actor is look at yourself as a business. If you owned a small business, that's how you'd approach it. You wouldn't approach it with, oh, I just need to work all the time. You know, be smart with your money, and that goes a long, long way. And then with the freelance lifestyle I live, I can honestly do that. I can say, okay, I can take two days this week to audition, um, you know, or I can take this low-paying show that will take up some of my daytime, but then it's a better career investment for me because of the credit. I don't really need those work hours, you know. So being smart is the key to making your day job work. And that brings up another question I would want to ask you, which is, well, first of all, at this point, do you go out for straight theater as well or only musical theater? That is a good question. Um, I try to do a bit more of that. I would say... I love the musicals, and I love comedy. I do spend a good chunk of my time, you know, my already non-existent free time, um, doing comedy <laughs> shows. Um, because, yeah, you know, I have so many hours a day. But um, I really enjoy, I'm on an indie improv team. I do musical improv as much as I can. I try to get my musical sketch out. Um, I do audition for plays, and that's something I want to push myself to do more of. Um I have found, however, I've done a little bit of Shakespeare. I genuinely enjoy Shakespeare, but I discovered I don't enjoy it as much as I enjoy musicals. And that was kind of an awakening for me a couple of years ago uh, because I have a classical voice degree. Funnily enough, I often get classical theater auditions. Sure. I enjoyed them, but I didn't enjoy them as much. And that was one more thing of I have very limited time. If this isn't my jam, maybe I shouldn't be going out for it, you know, so... I definitely enjoy classical acting, but it's one of those niches I try not to spend all my time on, you know, if that makes any sense. And I think that's very important as an actor to recognize because in New York, there are so many opportunities and you could do everything. And it's great to try new things, but you need to recognize, like, what are the things I should be spending my time auditioning for? And, you know, what are those shows I should be doing for low pay? Are they something I want? Well, that's so that's exactly what I was getting to, which is. I don't think this happens so much in the musical theater world, although maybe it does. Um, but, you know, and I don't know if you also look for any other, like, on-camera work, TV, commercial, films, anything like that. But um, my question really is, you know, do you have rules for yourself as far as will you take unpaid work ever? You know, do, do you ever take work that doesn't pay because you just want to do it? That's a very good question. Um, I think it's on a case-by-case -case basis. Um, with the on-camera world, that's actually something for years I've been telling myself I will go after. Um, 2019, I finally made it a New Year's goal. Like, I'm going to focus a little more on this um, because of my love for comedy, which is a recent thing, I would say, like a year or two ago. And I keep getting the comment, like, you need to try on-camera. And um, so this year, I finally am in an on-camera class um, for... TV work, I will take unpaid work uh, because I, I'm still building a reel for that. That said, I have to be selective about does it fit my schedule? Um, is it a solid enough time, you know, that it will not hurt me financially or take away from, you know, auditions or other things? And then also, 
just like with the housing and other things we talked about, look for the red flags. Like if a job looks like it's not organized um, and unpaid shows, dare I say, you'll kind of see more red flags. You have to know, is this going to be worth it? So This this has come up several times now, and it's a very important point because there is a lot out there for new actors that's, Mm -hmm. you know, either – just sort of disorganized and unprofessional, which can be one problem, or on the even worse end, they can be sort of scams or these pay-to-play mm-hmm. things and all different things like that. Or, or as I've discussed, you know, that I, I something that really used to bother me and still bothers me, you know, when you're in a show, but you feel like they're expecting you to also, the actors, to... To, to be the ones who get all the audience there, too. And then mm-hmm. nobody in the audience except a couple of your friends. It's like, what is the point, you know, sadly? So there's a lot of stuff. But, um, but yes, yeah, so exactly right. So be, be very careful about, you know, the, you know, making sure the work is professional and so forth. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I would say that's a criteria for paid work as well. Like, sure. you got to notice the red flags and, Actors, we so often were desperate to work. Of course, we all feel that. I know the feeling. But I found, as hard as it is, if you know your worth, the better things are going to come to you and people will respect you more. So with unpaid work, it's the same. You know, if you can make it work, absolutely. And I know, like with unpaid theater, however, because I do have a good chunk of unpaid theater that I've done, I'm pretty strict about unpaid theater. It has to either be a very low time commitment, be something for a, like as a favor to a friend or someone I know, or just give me something I don't have. If it's going to give me a credit or connection I don't already have, yes, but you just have to be very selective because again, your time is just so precious and you have to know what's worth it. Yeah, absolutely. And there's nothing wrong with valuing yourself and having standards and and saying no to things. You know, this idea that if you say no to something, then you're going to get a bad reputation or you're not going to get other offers or whatever is, is just silly. You know, it's just silly. Um, cool. So, um, let's see. So, uh, yeah, so getting back to your various day jobs and things, uh, tell me about your yoga teaching because that's uh, – that seems like a good sort of sub-career you got going on there. Yes, I'm headed to teach after this, actually. I'm very excited. Um, yeah, yoga is something that really just fell into my life. Uh, it's funny. I I was dragged to a class at Lululemon back at art high school. I, I remember the day uh, we were going to the mall, my friends and I, and they're like, come take this class. I was literally forced. I was like, I don't want to do yoga. It's weird. It's spiritual. Um, at the time I was, I I remember I was like, this is weird. I don't want to focus. I'm a person with a lot of energy. So, you know, the, the stillness of it was turning me off, but, um, they forced me to the class. And I remember I was an active ballet dancer at the time. I was like, I got a perfect split. How did that happen? Like, wow, my body's flexible. And I hated the class. I was like, why'd you guys make me do this? Then I went back again and I was like, this is cool. And I found a hot yoga studio, um, near our high school, I started taking class early every Saturday morning as a high school student, and I fell in love, and I was like, what is this? Oh, this is so good for my brain. This is so good for my body. Um, I was an active runner at the time, too, and dancer, and I was like, wow, this is changing my body, and um, 
at the time, I was really on the classical singing route, and I thought, you know, it would be fun if I could be a yoga teacher on the side someday. And um, then as a freshman in college, I was in, like, a tough place in life, not to get too into it, but that crisis of, oh, I should be doing theater instead. You know, my brain was going through a lot. Um, and then I started having some tough health problems, too. And by chance, I found a yoga teacher training that was weekends nearby my college. Uh, I was scared. You know, it was, like, almost $3,000, which was, like, all I had in the bank plus. And... But something in me said, I need to take this training just for all the, like, life changes and health things I was going through. I thought, I should take this training. Um, I remember, like, everyone trying to talk me out of it. They're like, you're 19. What are you going to do with this? you got to finish college. Um, it's a ton of money. Something in me said, i got to take this. And that training changed my life. Um, I will say yoga taught me more about singing than anyone else ever has. Um, just learning to breathe and connect to my body. And then just what it has done for my sanity. Um, it got me through, the, it has gotten me through all the toughest times in my life. Like when anything's going wrong in life, I'm just like, thank God for yoga. Like I say that on a daily basis. So definitely changed my life. And then while in college, so when I was about 20, I finished the certification and decided, all right, I'm going to start teaching. And I started teaching at a local um, yoga studio in Princeton because my school is right near Princeton, New Jersey. So downtown Princeton was a good hub for yoga. Um, I taught pretty regularly through the end of school and wasn't a living, but I taught on weekends and made like a really good chunk of change and loved doing it. And again, for me, it was just so empowering personally. Um, I'll never forget when I was teaching a class and one of the top coaches at my music school, like this guy works at Juilliard. You could never get a session with him as an undergrad. He took my yoga class and then he ran up to me on campus and was like, Hey, do you want to coach with me? And I was like, Oh my God. But he thought, You have such a maturity as a yoga teacher. So I was like, Cool. Um, but I stuck with teaching. I took a little break from it when I moved to New York. But then it was funny. Life stuff happened again. I went through a breakup and then decided, Okay, I need to start teaching yoga again because I deserve it. So it's always been a side gig. I found, funnily enough, with yoga. I enjoy it so much that I don't ever want to hate it. So I have never really pursued doing it full time. I also have found with the amount of traveling I do, it's been hard to really hold solid classes. But that said, it just keeps coming back into my life. And just for the sanity alone, I teach as much as I possibly can. And pretty much all the time I juggle with the idea of like, oh, I wish I could teach more. I wish I could really make this my side career. And I think... If I really devoted that myself to that, I could really make it happen. I've I've enjoyed my freelance life, but um, yoga is just my mental sanity and something I so love, and it's fed my artist career in so many ways. And I recommend to any performer who wants to put yoga teaching in their life, do it because it will only serve you. No, that's so great. It all makes perfect sense. And you know, many people, of course, find yoga to be that wonderful you know, centering force and just uh, a great benefit for many different reasons. And certainly for someone like a performer, not only for the physical and mental, you know, well-being aspects of it, but but it gives you that sort of space and outlet to, um, to, to you know, relax and 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 be immersed in something that's separate from the from the running around and the grind and, mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. So that's great. It makes perfect sense. 
And if you have yoga studios that you teach at or you recommend, we'll put links to those um, at the uh, on the show notes as well. So, um, yeah, that's fantastic. Um, cool. And you did, not to put you on the spot, but you did say in one of your emails to me that um, you had a rant or something to say about how they, how they changed your, your start time for your job this morning and about about your your freelance life. Did you want to talk about that or no? Sure. Um, it just will kind of go over what I already covered. But um, freelancing can be really hard. And I think, like with anything else, like with housing or jobs, like I said, you have to constantly reevaluate, is this working? And um, the hard part, the downside to freelancing is not having a consistent schedule. It's tough because, you know, planning your job around auditions and making sure you get both, but also planning, you know, when you don't know what your days will be like every week. Um, sometimes I have to be on standby, they call it at my temp job. Um, if I have the day free, I'll put myself on standby. They're very good about getting you work. And then if not, you know, you can go about with your day. But like, if you're on standby, I can't really plan an audition that day. I can't plan a voice lesson. And those have a, you know, 24 hour cancellation policy. So I can't pay and then lose the money. Um, you can't plan lunch with a friend. Like I found, you know, you need your friends in this crazy business. And if I'm too busy, I can't plan time with them. There's also the basic human things. Like you got to do your laundry. You got to wash your hair. You got to clean your room. Um, you got to like sleep an extra couple hours. And, um, and then with afterlife too, you have to spend a good chunk of your time submitting yourself and, uh, just even keeping up with your actor emails and then also practicing your rep and like, having an inconsistent schedule can really make your brain crazy for a while. And um, I have found now and then that just gets really, really hard. <laughs> and with the temp life, like if you're put on an assignment, you don't really have the freedom sometimes to leave a half hour early or be a half hour late, which just can make your brain crazy. And, um, yeah. you know, so it's always finding the balance. Um, like I said, you know, I've been wanting to get into TV film for years, and I think the thing that's really held me back is I haven't consistently been in the city, and I've really enjoyed that life of, like, let me travel a lot, but uh, this year, now with how long I've been out of school, I'm like, you know, maybe it's time to be more selective about the jobs I take. Like, children's entertainment has paid a good chunk of my rent, and I love doing it, but I know I won't really move to that next tier of theater gigs I want unless I start saying no to those. And then right. on-camera work really requires you spend some time in the city. And with that, I realized that means I need a more solid day job situation, like something more consistent. And so it's just finding a balance. Um, I'm doing a teaching job with kids, teaching dance two days a week, and it's just two afternoons a week. The pay is good enough, but I love that those two days a week I have a schedule. I've been doing that a couple months since I got back last and realized, oh, having a schedule can be kind of nice. And, of course, there's the catch. When you get an audition that goes in that one hour, it's not flexible, but it's always a catch of what's working for me and balancing it out because freelancing is really hard. So you just have to know what's working for me right now and what will work maybe later, you know? Absolutely. And by the way, I just thought of this. You'd be a good person to ask this too, which is, you know, you've been doing this life for a few years now of, you make some of your income from acting and some from all these various freelance and different jobs. How does it work for you with your taxes every year? And do you have any advice for actors for planning how they're going to deal with taxes? 
That is a good question. I just went through that last week and then had to take some good deep breaths. Thank God for yoga. Um, yeah. I Taxes are hard. I think they're hard for everyone. Um, but what I have found works the best, I just use an accountant, actually. Um, one of my dance teachers has a great accountant she's been using for years. He's very kind. He's good at working with artists. Um, he's given me a very solid rate. And I found from him, I got a very high return because um, he helped me to file as a business owner. Yeah. And I would highly recommend that for actors. If you can file as a business owner, yeah. that works. Because I've gotten going to be a little different this year because we just had a new law passed. But um, I, you know, was able to write off all the expenses on classes and also headshots and, you know, ink cartridges and the billions of things we got to spend money on. Um, and because I've had some solid acting contracts that sounds me out as someone who's made money from my business. So if you have made any chunk of money performing, I recommend doing that. And the accountant is just much easier because I literally just hand him everything. He calls me if there's a question and he files for me and I've gotten a good return. So that's been the most stress-free. Um, but if that's not an option for you for any reason, um, I also found TurboTax is very helpful. I used to use them yep. like when I was new and back at school. They are very easy to use. Um, they're very kind and good about answering questions. I remember, like, having a walk through my one month in Louisiana on tour. Taxes were really complicated in Louisiana, and they spent an hour on the phone with me making sure it worked out. So anyone who will be friendly and help you out. Because the big key with taxes is, again, remembering we are smart. We are business owners. Don't let the fine print jaunt you. And uh, I could absolutely be wrong about this, but... Frankly, if you don't make a ton of money, you should worry a little less about an audit because they're they're not going to try to scam you if you barely make the poverty level. No, <laughs> that's that not is, always true. No, that is that is absolutely true. That's absolutely correct. Um, but those are great points, and we, if you like, we can put the accountant's information in the show notes as well. But um, yeah, just you know, the recommendation of of finding a, a good accountant who will work with a non traditional situation like that. And also, that's a really good point that people might not think of, which is filing as a business owner and realizing that there's a lot of things you can consider expenses that can be deductions, things you might not think would matter. Like you said, printer ink, that's a great point. So anything like that. So really think about all that stuff. Assume anything that's related to what you're doing could be an expense you can deduct and be organized, keep receipts and... Yeah, maybe talk to an accountant and, and figure out the best way to do it. That's a that's a great a great point. Exactly. And I think that goes back to again, the smarter you are with your money and the more carefully you keep track of things, the better off you'll be for tax season. Absolutely. So just a couple more things, Julie, before we wrap up, and this has been so great. Thank you again. Um Thank you. so uh uh what what if any advice do you have um, in terms of auditions? You know, for newer actors or for any you know, even if even if they're not new. But what what have you learned about auditioning? And what if any advice would you give for for people as far as auditions? Um, the biggest advice I'd give, considering this time of year, is audition smarter, not harder. Um, oh, I like that. What, that's cool. I like that. What does that mean? Um, definitely not my own. I can't remember who first said it to me. Okay. Uh, I will try to get some credit if I remember. Yeah. But um, 
something else that I think is a big misconception in schools is that idea of in New York, you have to hit up every audition. And auditioning is also a very outdated system. There's been a big rant about this lately among the community I'm a part of. But um, there's a lot of open calls in New York at both union and non-union. And hitting up as many of those as possible, yes, it's a good notion. Get yourself out there. But 90% of the time, they're not casting. Not 90%, but oftentimes, like, EPAs, um, equity principal auditions, are required calls. Um, You really got to do your homework and decide, is this worth it? Because the thing is, if you are literally auditioning full-time, you will burn out fast. It's not easy to be up early every morning waiting around all day. So you really have to do your homework with, is it worth it for me to go to this open audition? And um, first off, if they are legitimately casting from it and there's something really right for you and it's worth getting in front of those people, then by all means do it. But especially in today's digital age, we now have the power to send people an email with a nice video of your singing uh, you know, invest the time in and get some solid reel. And even if it's not professionally done, like something, I shot some stuff with my coach in a little rental room three years ago, and that got me two gigs. I remember sending that stuff out, and I got two of my most high-paid gigs. So, you know, you don't have to have $1,000 reel footage. But, um, you know, take your time to do your homework when it comes to auditioning. Take the time to see, is this audition worth my time? Um Am I also spending my time building relationships, sending out my footage, uh, building connections in other ways? Because most of the jobs you're going to get are from knowing people. And frankly, like a lot of those, a producer friend of mine put it, every audition in New York is not actually an audition. Like the majority of the time, they're not just going to hire you blindly because you wowed them in a room. Like, of course that happens, but there's so much more to the business than just showing up to audition. So I'd say to actors, Spend the majority of your time on the rest of it. And when you are walking into an audition room, make sure it's smart. And then the more you are building those connections and things, the more you can get a 10-minute appointment that you can prepare for and fit into your day versus let me sit around and spend all my time at open call. So auditioning smarter is important. Those are all great points. And, you know, there was an episode of the podcast with a casting director named Lori Malkin. And she was saying, first of all, that, as you said, relationships and, uh, you know, being someone that people like and want to work with is a tremendous part of it. And Mm -hmm. uh, it also goes to the idea that you never know, and not just in your acting work, but in any area of your life, you never know where you're going to end up with some random connection. Um, So you always want to be someone that, you know, is is good to be around and professional and dependable and likable. Not in a fake way, but you know, just be someone that people like and and uh, you know, treat everything with respect and professionalism because you never know what it's going to lead to. Um, and as far as the self submitting, she was explaining, yeah, that if you want to self tape you know, for audition purposes. It doesn't have to be some crazy high-quality reel or shoot. You can just do it mm-hmm. on your phone. You can do whatever. Don't worry about that. As long as you're not claiming it to be more than it is, um, that's that's very helpful. Um, so yeah, that that all makes that all makes perfect sense. Um, tell everybody a little more about your improv work and also your. You said you do your own musical parodies and things. Yes. Um 
So improv is something. Two years ago, on a whim, I decided to try it. I had just gotten back from my first Christmas contract and had some money saved and said, all right, well, I need to invest in a class. Like, I finally have some money. Um, and on a whim, I tried a class at Magnet Theater because they, they give you a trial class there. And I can't remember who said it at the Magnet, but like with drugs, we give you a free taste and then you're hooked. And yeah. Magnet certainly does that. Yeah. Um, it's I took level one there. And then within the next three months, I took two and three and also tried musical improv one. And then I had to start interning there because I was like, I'm spending a lot of money on improv. Um, but... Improv, for me, it was one of those, where has this been all my life? Because improv is so much fun. It's so freeing. It's so playful. It really teaches you how to collaborate, you know, because it's the kind of form where you're forced to work with other people. And um, I just kept taking the levels, and I found this has taught me more than pretty much any acting class about being in the moment and having fun. And it also has given me that creative fulfillment again of, oh, yeah, I love doing this. So... I encourage every actor to take an improv class. Like, it is so good for you. And um, it's kind of opened up a new world for me. You know, if you're not making money doing improv, it's still a good use of your time because you are playing. You're actively doing shows. Um, I'm currently on an indie team where we perform pretty regularly. Like, we usually have, like, a good three shows a month at least. And we practice once a week, and it keeps me on my toes. And um, I just started with a musical improv practice group as well. Because musical improv is its own niche. Um, it's not as complicated as people think, actually. You just learn a couple forms for songs, and then you can get up there and do it. But that's something that's really helpful to just practice with a pianist. So we make the time to do that. Um, and I just found comedy, for me, is that place where I remember why I'm an artist and what makes me unique. Because there's that joy of getting to create your own stuff. And um, that's what really inspired my song parodies. I have to thank a coach of mine. Um, who I was working with who's really encouraged me to do the self-submission thing. I've been working with this coach for a few months and they've encouraged me like, put yourself out there. Don't be afraid to reach out. And back in December, there was a parody show going up. It was a parody of a few musicals. I really wanted an appointment. Um, I was out in Connecticut doing children's shows and knew also like it's about $50 and three hours for me to get into the city. I want to send in a submission. So I wrote a parody of the sound of music. Um, I just rewrote the words to the song Sound of Music, shot myself doing it on my iPhone in my housing in Connecticut. Um, I then sent it to the director of the show and said, hey, I want to be considered. I was so scared, but I did it. It was one of those risks I took. And they got back to me. I didn't end up getting an appointment for the show, but I got a good response. My video was viewed, and I realized, oh, this is cool. So I started writing a few more parodies for fun. And realized, like, this is something I need to do because I enjoy doing it. And I touched base with a social media expert friend of mine, and she showed me, like, how to use Instagram, how to really build, you know, some tips and tricks for getting some YouTube videos out. And um, at the beginning of the new year, I started, I write a parody a week. They're all a musical theater character. I basically just rewrite the lyrics to one of their songs, usually mocking the character in some way, usually poking fun at some dumb aspect of the character. And um, every month I have a theme. January was just well-known musicals. Um, February was all golden age musicals. This month I'm doing, um, it's not quite musical theater, but I'm doing sitcom parodies. I take the theme song of a well-known sitcom on TV, and I parody a certain character in it. Like this week I did Jan from the Brady Bunch. Um, <laughs> next week is Big Bang Theory. So 
it's just a fun project and it's real. I started it out for fun and realized, Hey, this is something I have the power to do. This is some art I have the power to do that I really enjoy doing. So I'm seeing where it goes. <laughs> no, but that's really great. And again, we'll post links to all this stuff. But, you know, again, the fact that you are creating your own content and you're doing it regularly um, and you're using social media, these are all the things that, that people do these days. And um, we'll also post a link, if you have one, to how people can find when and where your in- improv team is performing. Uh, but, okay. you know, we, we, we'll have to have you back to, to talk more about, you know, this we don't have enough time left to, to delve a lot into this, and we'll, we'll have to do it another time. But um, in, in a few minutes, can you give some of the tips you learned about using social media effectively? Because that's one of those things that everyone thinks they can do, and everyone thinks it's easy, but there are strategies and things in order to distinguish you from literally everybody else, because everybody's on social media. No, of course. Um The biggest one I would give is consistency, just like auditioning and submitting. Like you got to just show up like doing it is 90%. Um, And like right now I post my video every Thursday and I find if I'm just consistent with it, that's key. If I put the post on all the different platforms. Um, And also with that, you have to be genuine on social media. That sounds so simple, but like, you know, whatever platform feels the most natural for you, you have to be genuine about it. And um, so, it, you know, like I know Facebook is a really active one for me because I found it a good one to keep in touch with different people. And there's a slightly more professional aspect to Facebook because you have to accept someone's request. I'm also a very wordy person, so Facebook's great because you can write long things um, in your posts. Twitter is one I'm on to follow people, but I found Twitter just doesn't feel all that authentic to me. So I, you know, I'm on Twitter. I follow people, but I stopped trying to spend hours making Twitter work for me. And I often will just retake my posts from Instagram and Facebook and put them on Twitter as well. And I just make a couple hours a week to like, or whatever to look through Twitter and accept like, okay, it's not my top platform. So just being genuine and, you know, with all your posts on any platform, again, people say you have to be so careful to be professional. If you're just yourself and you don't say anything you would as a human, you're going to be fine. Makes makes perfect sense. That's great. Um, so just a couple more things. Um, you know, it's a hard question for any artist to answer, and obviously you can't predict the future, but... How do you see yourself in sort of the longer term, five years from now, ten years from now and beyond? If you're still living this actor, freelance, you know, kind of on and off working lifestyle, um, do you think you'll be happy with that? Do you think, you know, do you have a, a concrete sort of goal of what you hope will happen or do you just see it continuing the way it is? Very good question. Um, I'd say it's always literally a day-to-day evaluation of am I happy in what I'm doing? And if not, can I change it? Um, Where I see myself is I really want to keep performing. And I'm open to where that takes me, but I want to keep doing it. Um, I I really want to actively explore the on-camera side of things because it really isn't something I've, you know, taken the time to pursue. So I want to do that in the next couple of years um, and see where that takes me really follow my like musical 
sketch kind of life and see where that takes me because I'm finding that's the right niche in musical theater for me to really find those funny girl roles. Um, so actively really pursue those avenues and just get to that higher tier of work, you know. So if that means saying no to other jobs for a while, so be it. And um, in terms of, like, my day-to-day life, I'm always reevaluating, and the freelance life is working for me right now, so I'm just going to stick with it. Um, the only really big change I'd like to make in my day-to-day is I'm always looking to teach yoga more. So just kind of owning that I might want to build my yoga business. Um, I've gotten back into that the past year, so I'm trying to build up some private clients, trying to teach more. I started doing, like, some teaching kids yoga more, which is great because that can be a little steadier, and I love kids yoga. It's so much fun. So, yeah, trying to add more yoga into my life, um, keeping up my performing, and then doing whatever else comes on the side. That all makes sense, and I think, you know, having a side yoga business, if it's something you want, um, would be a great uh, a great part of it for you. All right. Um, uh, so last question is, you know, we've, we've touched on a lot of things that, that might be an answer to this, but if you could go back in time four and a half years and talk to yourself when you first moved to New York, if there was one thing you could tell yourself at that point, one thing you wish you knew then that you know now, what would it be? I would have told myself, let go, let go of control. It's going to be okay. Cause, um, there's, I am such a planner and it really helps me in a lot of ways, but it also hurts, can really detriment you. And I think I wish I could have told young Julie, it's going to be okay. Like nothing is going to unfold the way you think it is, but it's all going to work and it's going to be wonderful in ways you couldn't expect. So it's what I would have told myself and the advice I'd give to any young artist, like, let it be. You cannot control your past, but it's going to be pretty cool. That's beautiful, and I, I'm I'm pretty sure that someone else on another episode gave almost that exact same answer to that question. So that's very interesting. But I think that's great. That's a great note to go out on. Um, this has been really phenomenal. I thank you. Um, I hope you'll come back and we'll talk some more another time. And also, there's going to be uh, group discussion episodes where I bring a group of people who have already been on the one-on-one to talk together. So I hope you'll do that with us. Um, sure. Um, so again, we're going to post all this, but just remind people of your your basic links, your website, your YouTube, whatever else you want to say. Yes, um, website, YouTube specifically. Check out my song parodies. I do one every Thursday. I put one up. Um, and then... I I guess our Facebook page for my improv team, I try to keep those active, so we'll keep those up as well. So again, we, we will post the exact links, but just so people hear them, what where can people actually find these things? What are they called? Um, well, you can find me. My website is www.juliannmcnamara.com, mm-hmm. and then you can find me on YouTube if you search Julie McNamara. I have my comedy videos. I also have a series of yoga tip videos. They're pretty short, but they're geared specifically towards yoga for actors, like a calm down on audition season kind of video. I have a bunch of those. So um, you can find me on YouTube. And then Facebook, I have a Facebook page for my acting, um, facebook.com slash Julie McNamara actress. So check me out. I post pretty actively. And 
thank you so much, Lee. And lastly, what what is the name of the improv team? My improv team is Seattle Spaceman. We are pretty active in the indie scene. Um, we do lots of different shows. So, a little plug for us. We're cool. Yeah. Um, oh, Seattle I, Spaceman, you said? Yes, yeah, Seattle Spaceman, um, singular man. We, we're cool, so we keep it singular. Um, yes, I will give you the link to our Facebook page to right, so I'm post sure it there. We'll do that, and I'm sure if you search for that on Facebook, you'll find the, the page for that. Okay. All right, well, again, Julie, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much. And for everybody listening, if you have any questions about the podcast or want to reach me about it for any reason, uh, you can email Craft Business Life Podcast. That's all one word. Craft Business Life Podcast at gmail.com. And of course, that information is on the, is on all the info for the podcast as well. So, uh, Julie, thanks. <clears throat> Thank you again. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. All right. Bye.